If you had a dream, how far would you go to ensure it became your reality? How much of yourself would you give to it? Would you sacrifice everything to become the person you felt you were meant to be? What if that meant sacrificing everything about who you are to begin with? It is the life of a cork man which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In Cork City, in 1789, a man was born. His name, James Barry. He was the second child of an Irish Catholic family, and his parents were called Jeremiah and Mary Ann. His father, Jeremiah, worked extremely hard as he ran the warehouse in Merchant's Quay in the city. Given the times and the hardships Catholics faced, to get this role showed he was a man who could be trusted to do a job professionally. This is until his religion was discovered by some of the ship owners and due to the anti-Catholic sentiments across Ireland by the higher classes, he was sacked as some merchant business owners refused to dock in the city if he was not sacked. His mother, Mary Ann, was able to help the family finances through a wealthy brother living in London, a celebrated Irish artist and professor of painting, also named James Barry. This was enough to keep the family going until the anti-Catholic state of mind spread back to London and Uncle James was sent to prison for having a debt of a measly two pounds. Two false gold coins. The equivalent of about a 310 pounds with inflation today. Although he had the money to pay it, he was not afforded the opportunity and he was sent to Marshallie Sea Prison in Dublin. A prison known to have the worst conditions in the British Isles. It was privately run for profits, and inmates could be heard screaming throughout the night as they begged for freedom. 19th century historian John Thomas Gilbert wrote about it. Passers-by were incessantly assailed by the cries of the inmates soliciting charity for their maintenance or the discharge of their fees. The young James Barry showed he was incredibly bright in modern society, he may have been called gifted. He would learn essays off by heart after their first reading, could recite poems he'd only heard once, and could solve any mathematical equation placed in front of him. Because of this, his parents scraped anything they could through begging, with the hope of educating him to become a tutor. In normal circumstances, he may have hoped to become a teacher or a lecturer, but those jobs were not for Catholics. Unfortunately, as discrimination against Catholics continued to grow, James could not get any suitable or sustained work. After the uncle James died, due to his hardship in prison, his influential friends and clients living in the United Kingdom sought to try and repay the family. They remarkably managed to secure a place in Edinburgh University for young James, where he was able to study medicine in 1809. James had a very small frame, narrow shoulders and small hands. His voice had failed to deeply break in his early years and he had quite delicate features. Because of this, the university tried to stop him taking part in his final exams, not believing he was old enough to qualify as a doctor. However, a friend of his uncle stepped up again and argued that this was an anti-Irish sentiment and they were looking for any reason to stop the young Irishman from qualifying. He was the Earl of Usham, David Erskine. He argued it was James's poor upbringing that had made him small. Going days without eating was never going to build a strong frame or help him develop like the other boys. 
James sat the exams and qualified top of his class. After he qualified, his uncle's friends once again used their influence, even stronger now given his qualifications and results, and James moved to London to study in Guy's and St Thomas's hospitals, qualifying on the 2nd of July 1813 from the Royal College of Surgeons of England. Once he qualified, James had ambitions of helping those who needed it most, whilst also improving surgical practices and procedures in England for all. During his training, James became very concerned with the lack of hygiene in surgeries and felt that gloves and gowns should be worn by all and instruments should be sanitised. He was sickened at the thought that some of his professors did not even soap their hands before cutting into someone. They did not see a benefit of doing so. Unfortunately for James, his uncle's friend's pull could only get him so far and he was not able to attain a normal job as a surgeon within Britain at the time. Being an Irish Catholic, all doors were closed to him. He did, however, discover that the British Army were desperate for medical professionals. Here he found his calling could be answered. Scale In 1799, Ireland and Britain had separate parliaments. The Parliament of Great Britain and the Parliament of Ireland, both loyal to the British Crown and therefore the Empire. To join these two unions together, and strengthen the Crown's claims over the entire British Isles, the Act of Union was created in 1800, although it did not pass until 1801. This Act created the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, and created the Parliament of the United Kingdom. It also changed the Union Jack forever. If you were to look at it today, you will see that it is made up of the flags of the UK. It does however exclude Wales. The blue of the flag with the white cross sign style design represents Scotland. The red plus sign through the middle on the white is St George's cross from the English flag and the red cross going through it is the cross of St Patrick, the old flag for Ireland. This flag was a result of the creation of the Union and Ireland were never removed from it post-independence. Before the act was passed Ireland had been in what was known as a personal union with England since 1541, essentially meaning it was self-governed under its own parliament but did have to answer to the crown. It was a largely Protestant parliament as Catholics were not allowed to be represented in the parliament due to their religion even though they were always the majority on the island and Protestants only made up a very small portion of the population. This combined with their land confiscation from the Irish during a series of plantations made them incredibly wealthy. The reason it was Protestant only was to ensure the Irish Parliament would always be loyal to the Crown. This Parliament only looked after their own and the Irish Catholics had to suffer for centuries for meals, land and roofs. This separatist apartheid state led to a series of rebellions and in 1798, an Irish Protestant, horrified with the conditions the majority of his nation were living in, formed an army, the United Irishmen. An army of both Catholic and Protestant soldiers fighting for the rights of the Irish against the British establishment. His name was Theobald Wolfe It was also largely supported by the French army. They did not want to abolish the Protestants from Ireland. They just wanted to create a free state for all religions and peoples. The rebellion was quickly quashed after much bloodshed and Wolfton died in suspicious circumstances in a British prison. 
The Act of Union was brought in to ensure Catholics would never rise again, own their own land or be anything but slaves to the minority Protestant leaders. It led to the laws which just 45 years later would see the Irish unable to buy food, afford taxes or rent and have one million starve to death and a further one million leave the island, never to return during the Great Famine. The army was the only option open to James due to his religion and nationality. It was the only place a Catholic would be allowed to practice. He first started in Chelsea as a hospital assistant, in a position far below his qualifications. But within two years, due to his drive and knowledge, he quickly rose to assistant surgeon of the forces, effectively a lieutenant in the British Army. His first overseas positioning sent him to Cape Town. When word went to Governor Lord Charles Henry Somerset that he was a friend of Lord Boucham, the man who helped him in Edinburgh with his exams, he was trusted with the medical needs of the governor's family. When the governor's daughter became unwell, James quickly performed a surgery on her, which saved her life. From that point on, he became incredibly close with the family and became Governor Somerset's personal physician. In 1822, James was promoted to Colonel Medical Inspector, effectively the head of the medical professionals in South Africa. This would have been unthinkable to the boy who wanted to be a tutor back in Cork. He had gone from the very bottom to the very top. Over the next 10 years, Barry brought in massive changes which are still visible in the medical world today. He insisted on clean areas, clean tools and hands for surgeries. He also created sanitation and water systems to prevent the spread of disease. Never forgetting his home, James did not just do these things for the army. He refused to do his work unless the poor and the slaves also benefited from his work and the work of his colleagues. No one was to be turned away and all were to have access to clean water. These were not the only effects James had on the medical profession and on our healthcare today. Whilst in Cape Town, James performed the world's first successful caesarean section, where both mother and child lived. The child was named James Barry Munnock, and the name was passed down through every generation of the family, including the man who would later become the Prime Minister of South Africa, James Barry Munnock Hersock. James was not a friend of the higher classes. He often fought with them and was known to be incredibly short-tempered when he felt people were not being treated as human beings. In 1827, James was promoted to the Surgeon of the Forces, the head of medicine for the entire British Army. He was punished in 1829 when he left his role without leave temporarily to treat his friend, Governor Somerset, as he was ill and later died. On his return to the Army, he was posted to Jamaica and then St Helena. He was court-martialed for again displaying his short temper when he clashed with another Army surgeon who failed to treat an infection in a local. James broke the other surgeon's nose and threatened to cut the genitals off him. This was seen as ungentlemanly, but James is not found guilty and acquitted, mainly due to his importance in the army's efforts. He then travelled with the army to more stations across the Caribbean until 1845, where he contracted yellow fever and returned to England for treatment. When he recovered, he was sent to Malta and was severely reprimanded for taking the seat in a local church reserved for a clergyman, a member of the Protestant religion. The act itself wasn't the issue, it was more his short temper 
and his response, which brought him in front of his superior officers. He is reported as having said, Yes, I have taken your seat, but what is a seat when you have taken the freedom of my people? He was due to be expelled from the army for this, only for a cholera epidemic to break out, which he was needed for. After Malta, he was taken to Corfu. He took leave in Crimea, although not allowed to, and it was here he met Florence Nightingale. Florence did not enjoy the encounter, later writing, I never had such a blackguard rating in all my life. I, who have had more than any woman, that from this, Barry sitting on his horse. While I was crossing the hospital square, with only my cap on, in the sun, he kept me standing, in the midst of quite a crowd of soldiers, servants, camp followers, etc., every one of whom behaved like gentlemen during the scolding I received, while he behaved like a brute. I should say that Barry was the most hardened creature I ever met. James's last post was to Canada, where he fought for better food, sanitation, proper medical care for prisoners and lepers, as well as soldiers and their families. All were equal in James's eyes. Ill health and old age got the better of James, and he died on the 25th of July, 1865. I have a confession to make. Throughout this episode, I have been lying to you. Well, not necessarily lying, but I have been keeping a secret from you. Truth be told, I don't feel too bad about doing it. It wasn't my secret to share. This story isn't actually about James Barry. It's not even about a man from Cork. This story is actually about a woman from Cork called Margaret Ann Buckley. In order to be able to work as a doctor, her mother changed her name to James Barry, stealing her dead uncle's identity and using his friend's power to gain her daughter the education she deserved. She spent her entire life making the world better for others whilst hiding her true identity from all. Only her family, her uncle's friends who helped, and Governor Somerset knew who she really was. Nobody else knew until her autopsy. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. If you want to help support the podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could donate the cost of a pint or a coffee to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash Ireland Loves. Ornus Anam Dum, Gurv Magut,